Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by their good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Really appreciate their support. And they do a great job. It's Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And I hope you'll visit their website, Johnson's Air Conditioning. Give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He's the uh, chairman of the Cato Institute and a constitutional scholar. We'll be talking about the constitutional presidential election process, a lot of misinformation out there, and I think it's time timely that he would clean up that uh, and help us understand what's going on. Also, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell and Dodd, professor at the University of Houston in the space architecture and author of several books, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. It is December the 30th. Can you believe it? Almost 2020 is over. And on this day in 1922, in post-revolutionary Russia, the United Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR, was established, comprising a federation of Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, and the Transcaucasian Federation, which divided in 1936 into Georgian, Azerbaijan, and uh, Armenian republics. Also known as the Soviet Union, the new communist state was the successor to the Russian Empire and the first country in the world to be based on Marxist socialism. And during the Russian Revolution of 1917 and subsequent three-year Russian Civil War, the Bolshevik Party under Vladimir Lenin dominated the Soviet forces in a coalition of workers and soldiers' committees that called for the establishment of a socialist state in the form of uh, former Russian Empire. In the USSR, all levels of government were controlled by the Communist Party and the party's pilot bureau, with its increasing powerful general secretary effectively ruling the country. Soviet industry was owned and managed by the state, and agricultural land was divided into state-run collective farms. In the decades after it was established, the Russian-dominated Soviet Union uh, grew into a pretty powerful, of course we had the Cold War, and uh, uh, they were a powerful and influential state. So in 1991, the Soviet Union was dissolved following the collapse of its communist government. So how long was that? What uh, Oh, about uh, 71 years or so. Unbelievable. Uh, no, actually, uh, less than that. About uh, 69 years, 79 years. In any event, uh, the point being is that it didn't last long. And, of course, when you don't have free enterprise, if people don't have uh, their personal and positive self-interest at heart, when they're working for the state, uh, you don't get a lot of productivity. And the result is, in a lot of freedom, uh, the dissolution of the uh, USSR. You never get the feeling that uh, you're not always getting the, the true scoop. 345,795 folks have died with the coronavirus in the U.S. this year. That number includes poisonings, shootings, homicides, and hospice deaths. The CDC also appears to be using other statistical tricks this year. The number of flu cases in the U.S. is at an all-time low. Uh, the, the Gateway Pundit reported news from the CDC in August that only 6% of all deaths in the U.S. classified as coronavirus deaths actually died from the China coronavirus exclusively. Flu cases reported this year pale by comparison to last year. Now, why is that? Well, it's because the flu and the influenza, pneumonia have all been grouped in with COVID-19 as a cause of death. That, that is according to the CDC. That's, that's actually uh, true. Is it because the flu vaccines aren't working? I don't think that's the case. By the way, uh, Luke Letgo from Louisiana hasn't even been sworn in. He was uh, to be uh, taking office as a U.S. congressman from Louisiana on uh, January the 3rd. He died in the hospital with uh, COVID-19. The fact of the matter is he also had a massive heart attack. So uh, it will be classified, I'm sure, as COVID-19. He was only 41 years of, of age, wonderful family, his uh, great lineage. Of, he's had a history of service to the country, and uh, it's too bad that he died. But it will be classified as COVID-19, actually massive heart attack. Well, direct payments could be deposited in Americans' bank accounts beginning Tuesday night. 
according to Secretary uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. The stimulus bill signed into law by President Donald Trump could begin paying Americans $600 as early as Tuesday evening in the form of a direct deposit. Mnuchin added that the paper checks will be sent out by mail beginning on Wednesday. So good news for those that uh, are less fortunate or looking forward to that check, I'm sure. Could have used it uh, sooner, quite frankly. Well, after blocking a Senate vote to vote on uh, boosting the coronavirus stimulus checks on Tuesday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell introduced an alternative proposal. In it, the checks are increased as President Donald Trump has requested. Many Democrats and even some GOP lawmakers have urged, but McConnell also ties these fatter payments to Trump's priorities, including probing allegations of election fraud and diminishing liability protections for social media platforms. You've heard about uh, Section 230 of the 1996 uh, Communication Act. So it sent the original COVID-19 stimulus bill. Trump declined to sign without major changes. He wanted individual relief checks boosted from $600 to $2,000. Unrelated to COVID-19, he also wanted a repeal of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which protects social media platforms from being sued over third-party content. And he wanted inquiries into his claims of election fraud, which have been pressed without success in court and the legislative level for weeks since November 3rd in the election and the outcome favoring uh, Joe Biden. Democrat, uh, Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer of New York said the new proposal from McConnell could not pass, giving the majority leader an out for a larger relief package. In the statement, Schumer said that uh, Senator McConnell knows how to make $2,000 survival checks reality, and he knows how to kill them. He said if McConnell wants loading up bipartisan House passed cash act with unrelated partisan provisions that will do absolutely nothing to struggling families across the country it will not pass the house and cannot become law he said what hypocrisy can you believe this now the the initial law which the president has signed with the six hundred dollar payments that are going out included payments to pakistan <laughs> to all to, to support for the dalai lama uh, lineage and all types of things that have nothing to do with the stimulus so they stacked up something, and so now he's saying, well, uh, uh, McConnell's saying, well, let's include Section 230 uh, reform, and let's also include uh, taking a look at this election and what's going on. And, uh, of course, the House just is absolutely upset about this, but he's demanding a commission to spew lies about the election Trump lost and attack democracy. That's according to uh, Bill Pascal, Pascrell, uh, a representative from New Jersey. So, uh, well, here's one, a good quote from uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I think it's a big mistake to not approve a clean bill sending 2,000 checks out to people. So let's call it even. Get going, Bernie Sanders. Make the Senate countdown to the new year on the Senate floor until they pass the $2,000 checks. No funny business attached. What hypocrisy coming uh, from the left. Well, the Trump campaign also... Uh, on Tuesday, took its Wisconsin constitutional fight to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Trump advisor Boris uh, Epstein broke the news during Steve Bannon's war room, which, by the way, if you've watched that, is a pretty good show, a lot of good breaking information and opinion. The uh, Trump campaign is challenging the 50,000 illegal absentee votes that were allowed to be counted in the state. Now, this is uh, uh, the uh, Gore case uh, all over again. And you may recall that it led to the election of uh, Bush back, I think it was 2000. In any event, uh, so this case is exactly a carbon copy of that. And uh, I wonder if the Supreme Court is going to take it. I don't think they will, quite frankly. Uh, it seems their attitude is that they pushed off the Pennsylvania case off until uh, the 24th of January. So they don't want to look at it in a timely matter. Don't think they want to be involved in this election at all. Pretty disappointing. So I think this is all going to end up going to uh, Mike Pence, the Senate, and the House in a joint uh, session on January 6th where they count uh, the ballots coming in for, for the electors, for the Electoral College. Well, a host of corporate media outlets, including CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the MSNBC, have participated in private dinners and sponsored trips with the U.S. China-United States Exchange Foundation 
a Chinese Communist Party-funded group seeking to garner favorable coverage and disseminate positive messages regarding China, the National Pulse can reveal. This is very disturbing information. It's not like it's just happened yesterday. This has been going on for years. Other outlets involved in the propaganda operation include Forbes, The Financial Times, Newsweek, Bloomberg, Reuters, ABC News, The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, LA Times, The Hill, BBC, and The Atlantic. Relationship is revealed in the Department of Justice's Foreign Agent Registration Act, or FARA, filings, which reveal a relationship spanning over a decade between the establishment media outlets and China United Exchange Foundation, or CUSEF. So the Chinese are working very hard in order to gain influence in the United States, especially with regard to the media. Well, I shouldn't say especially, also in universities. I actually saw a video put out by Disney saying everybody should wear a mask, and it's kind of cutie and all that. But if it's being shown in schools, it just goes to show the insidious process of the Communist Chinese Party trying to gain influence with everything from kids to elected officials to uh, the media. It's really a travesty. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, Brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's an author, written several books, and he's also the chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. And for our listeners that may not be familiar with the Cato Institute, maybe you could tell us about it. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and focused on 
private property, free markets, securing individual rights, limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. It's a big market. <laughs> so keep up the good work, Bob, if at the Cato Institute, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. So we've been talking about the election process, a lot of confusion about that, especially now with what's going on. And uh, our focus, with your focus, has been on what is the law, what is the policy that's in existence, uh, as opposed to what are the politics of this whole thing. So what would happen if an elector uh, voted for someone other than the candidate he was pledged to? Yeah, this this is the so-called faithless elector elector problem. It's happened a lot, 165 times in our history, but it's never affected uh, the outcome. So currently, uh, 33 states in D.C. have laws that require good faith by the electors, and they have varying remedies for electors who don't honor their uh, commitment. So some states actually punish the elector, you know, a fine or something. That some states void their vote. Some states will actually substitute a different elector. Uh, this year, um, just a few months ago, in the Supreme Court took up a case called Schiaffalo versus State of Washington and Colorado uh, Department of State versus Baca, two cases involving faithless electors. And the court ruled nine zip that the state can punish or replace presidential electors who don't support the winner of the state's uh, popular vote. But interestingly, the state isn't compelled to do that. Mm -hmm. It can do it, but it doesn't have to do it. And of course, as I mentioned, 33 states have laws that punish, uh, but 17 states don't. So in 17 states, you could uh, vote for someone else and uh, there might not be any repercussions. And in 33 states, you could vote, and there would be repercussions, but some of those states, your vote would still not be uh, rejected. Yeah. Interesting. And, of course, if the fine or the penalty is not uh, tremendous, it's a a marginal type of a a penalty for uh, being faithless, it may not matter. So, And I think it is in some states, actually. So, uh, Yeah, frankly, it's a problem that that has to be, uh, should be fixed. You know, it's one thing. For an individual to change their vote, you're talking about 330 million Americans. It's quite another for one out of <clears throat> the number of electors that we have, which is basically you know, 538, yeah. um, to change their vote. That could make quite a difference in a particular state. So let's turn to the debate over the Electoral College versus popular voting. We've heard Hillary Clinton and others say we've got to get rid of the Electoral College. Why shouldn't the outcome be determined by the national majority vote? Well, majorities rule, that's true, but there are limits. Uh, The Constitution sets out certain rights, like free speech, for example, that majorities can't take away. Uh, So the founders, they instituted this plan whereby in limited areas, areas that the Constitution actually enumerates, majorities are entitled to rule because they're authorized by the Constitution. Uh, But we don't take a vote to determine if you're allowed to exercise your religious beliefs. Uh, and the federal government, for example, can't compel, um, let's say, California to criminalize marijuana, uh, even if a supermajority of Americans nationally want marijuana to be uh, criminalized. So the, the Electoral College is one more exception to this majority rule principle. It's, it is set forth in the Constitution. It's designed uh, in part to buttress this institution we have of federalism, which is dual sovereignty, dividing the power between the federal and state governments so as to check them from violating uh, individual rights. Uh, The Constitution wouldn't have been ratified uh, if the least popular states and the voters in those states hadn't been protected against domination by the most popular states. And uh, that that dynamic has not changed. So the fact today. Yeah, and my commentary would be, thank goodness. So what are the examples of the abuse of power by uh, majorities? Well, um, we've had temporal majorities in in the United States. They even now shut down speakers on our campuses, for example, Mm -hmm. or prevent homeowners uh, from defending themselves uh, with a handgun uh, or forcing uh, religious business owners to provide uh, birth control uh, to their employees, uh, granting racial preferences in college admissions, monitoring every phone call in the nation. 
destroying uh, homes to provide land for private developers, uh, confiscating somebody's car because it was used in a crime without that person's knowledge, uh, incarcerating minor drug offenders for for decades. Um, and let's not forget, of course, the Jim Crow laws, uh, internment camps for Japanese Americans, oh. uh, military responses to all kinds of imagined uh, crises and all these wars in the name of exporting uh, uh, democracy. So th- those policies, until they were checked by our courts, uh, were supported by popular uh, majorities. So fortunately, uh, the Electoral College is one, I think, insufficient, but one way in which the framers intended to curb this, uh, the passions of the majority. In fact, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, there wasn't a popular vote in each state until uh, the, the uh, laws were passed. This is just the, the way things are being done now, but it was basically uh, the states that were determining who the electors were, and that would you know, determine what the vote would be for the president. So I'm not articulating that well. But So how does the uh, presidential electoral system work? Well, <clears throat> under our system, um, each state gets a number uh, of electoral votes equal to the number of its representatives in the House, which, of course, depends on the population in the state, mm-hmm. <clears throat> plus two. And those are the two uh, senators in the Senate. So, obviously, uh, that departure from one man, one vote uh, favors the smaller states. And as I said, the, the tilt was necessary to get the less popular states to ratify the Constitution. So there, there are 435 members of the House, 100 senators, that means there are 535 electoral votes. Uh, in addition, we had the 23rd Amendment, which gave three votes to D.C. So they're total, even though D.C. is not a state. So they're a total of 538. And the presidential candidate who gets a majority, which is 270 or more, wins, even if that candidate doesn't get the most popular votes nationwide. And, of course, that's what happened in Bush versus Gore in 2000 and Trump versus Clinton in 2016. Uh, And partly because of those elections, there's been this concerted effort from the left to uh, restore popular voting instead of electoral votes as the method of elected presidents. So how are the state's electoral votes divided among the presidential candidates? Article 2 of our Constitution gives the states broad authority to decide how their electoral votes are going to be divided. So in 48 states, the candidate who gets the most vote in the state wins all of that state's pop, uh, electoral votes. But the Constitution doesn't require that rule. Um, in Maine and Nebraska, for example, we have two electoral votes that go to whoever wins in the state, and then one electoral vote goes to the winner in each congressional district. <clears throat> so that's much closer to proportional voting instead of uh, winner-take-all. So how can winner-take-all be reconciled with the notion of one man, one vote? Well, it can't. And, uh, but, you know, political outcomes are not always determined by one man, one vote. So, it, for example, it takes three-fourths of the states to ratify constitutional amendments. It takes two-thirds of Congress to <clears throat> override vetoes or expel a congressman. Two-thirds of the Senate to approve treaties or to impeach uh, the president. So, you know, some people have said the current electoral system is unwise because under winner-take-all, the candidates ignore states when they have little chance of winning the state's popular vote, even if there are districts within the state that might favor the candidate. And I do think that is a problem, but the problem can be fixed uh, without resort to pure uh, popular voting. Uh, The Maine and Nebraska alternative, for example, which awards electoral votes district by district, uh, would encourage candidates to campaign even in those states which they might have ignored because they were so far behind statewide, but they had the chance of winning electoral votes in a particular district. That's such an interesting point, Bob. Well, I really appreciate your clarification on these issues. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org is the website. Bob, thank you so much for joining us, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Good to be with you. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, doing great things, including uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's an author of a terrific book. It's off-topic for today's discussion. It's called Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob, and, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I certainly have to believe that next year is going to be better, although sometimes it doesn't work out that way. It, it, you're exactly right. And <laughs> just want to refer our listeners to uh, David Berry's uh, commentary for 2020. You can probably find it on the, on the web. but. Uh, he writes for the uh, Miami Herald, and it's just great to see his commentary, bringing humor to, to what's going on in the world. Well, I want to thank you for sending that to me. It's about 9,000 words, but every word is worth reading. I mean, if you want to enjoy the, <laughs> the absurdity of America, Dave Barry encapsulates it for you in, in 9,000 well-chosen words. Bob. Absolutely. So well, let's talk a little bit of what's happening right now. And, uh, well, let's start off with uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, what's been going on with Mitch. What are your thoughts? Okay, a couple of sidebars first, which I, uh, I deeply prepare for these sidebars, Bob. I know. But an Austrian lawmaker opened up a can of Coca-Cola and tested it uh, using the COVID-19 PCR test, and it came back positive. Yeah. In other words, the can of Coca-Cola showed positive for, for COVID-19. Yeah. I'm not sure of the implications of that, but his point was that it, it, it throws into doubt the validity of, of the, the whole COVID-19 testing process, which I, I think is well identified at this point. Another sidebar is that Trump uh, won the Gallup poll for the most admired man, uh, unseating uh, Barack Obama, who had won it the last 12 years. Yes. Uh, coming in second and third were uh, Tony Fauci and and, and Joe Biden, but that's, I, I think, a, uh, a if a going out statement, I think that's a, that's a great going out statement. Yeah. Uh, also up in uh, Lee County, just, just north of, uh, of, of our abode, uh, people were lining up for 10 hours uh, the night before last to, uh, to get their COVID-19 vaccine injection. So here you have people 65 years of age or older 
camping out for up to 10 hours in, in temperatures hovering in the mid-50s. If there's something that could be more dangerous for a, a senior citizen than that, I, I don't know what it would be, Bob. It's, I know the, the irony of all this is just incredible. And, uh, well, we could go on about mass and so forth, but uh, what about Mitch? Uh, I, I have a, a suppressed anger at this point. Uh, he has, in fact, stopped any uh, uh, general uh, acclamation of acceptance of the $2,000 during the COVID relief package, um, I think he's missing what what I see as the uh, the context of this situation. There is a a Senate runoff in Georgia, and if that goes the wrong way, then I think that uh, if if Mitch is trying to control spending, that will go through the roof if the Democrats take full control oh. of the government. Uh, so I think that once President Trump suggested the two thousand uh, dollar COVID relief um, uh, package. Uh, I think that he had crossed the Rubicon. I think that Mitch, uh, to support the Republican Senate process in Georgia and the Senate in general, the Republican Senate in general, had to approve of that. Uh, uh, I think that he linked it to uh, suggestions also made by President Trump that uh, that it be tied to the elimination of 230 protection for the big tech companies uh, and, and also the, um, uh, what was the other thing? The 230, uh, section 230. Uh, the the two thirty oh and then the uh, investigation of voter fraud right uh, the voter fraud investigation will take a, a, a lifetime so essentially Mitch's position is that would almost put on total hold the two thousand dollar award now if you're a a regular citizen not in the the upper income brackets or let's say you're lower middle income and you hear that a Republican in the Senate Mitch McConnell is stopping your family from getting an, an additional $2,800. That's the difference between $4,000 and, and, uh, and $1,200. Uh, I think that is a, a significant negative that can seriously affect the vote. So I think the context had to be understood by McConnell and, and his dry way of just uh, rejecting the $2,000 without commentary, uh, I think will will not stand the Republicans in good stead. So... Uh, I was much, uh, much more angry last night. My wife talked me out of it, but uh, I think the, that Mitch McConnell could have taken a, a far healthier position uh, for the Republicans, and I would say also uh, for many, many Americans who desperately need those funds, Bob. Yeah, well, you know, my, I have a different take on it, which I'll share, which I believe that President Trump requested uh, this uh, being uh, added onto the uh, bill. I think it was from his personal request. I also think if you take a look at the initial bill, $600 per person uh, with incomes less than 75000 blah, blah, blah. Uh, if you take a look at that, I mean, it was loaded up with so much pork and things that had nothing to do with the well-being of uh, stimulating the economy. Uh, you know, on the, and now the quid pro quo here is, okay, we're going to do the 2000 but you can add some things that mean a lot to the president and to the country. So perhaps what's needed is a better explanation. Uh, I think what he did was brilliant. I, I've reached the point where I, I think that I, I agree with that, Bob. That uh, basically he could have handled it. Uh, he could have handled it better. But when Americans read that there's uh, 25 million dollars going to Pakistan for for gender programs, <laughs> yeah. when they read that there's 25 million dollars going to uh, increase house salary, which uh, comes out to 57 thousand dollars per member. When they see 86 million to, to Cambodia and 130 million to Nepal, um, I think it it, uh, it it sets Americans back in terms of seeing themselves as being the uh, the low recipient on the totem pole. Right. Uh, and I think there's there's no other way to interpret this, Bob. These these numbers are so huge going out to. And by the way, there was 720 thousand dollars, 720 million dollars going to the. Social Security Administration uh, people with only five with only 200 million of that actually going to Social Security recipients. The rest, five hundred and twenty million dollars going to administrative cost. So when Americans read these type of numbers and understand yeah. that uh, their part of this package is being suppressed, uh, denied, uh, I think it has to leave a significant negative impression in the mind of of, of most Americans. Well, just coming full circle with this, I mean, I think it just demonstrates how much the president stands for the American people, make America great again, and, and uh, versus what the uh, uh, political elite want to accomplish, which is basically to continue to line, uh, feather their bed 
at the expense of the American people, which is just really too bad. Andy, I want to. We have so much more to talk about. Can I uh, put you on here, hold here, so we can have a commercial break? I am going to be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here with Andy here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to do a little shout-out to Lula B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. I'm going on a renovation. Things are looking a lot better now there in that Green Tree Shopping Center. But they do great breakfast and lunch. I just had a breakfast with Andy uh, this week and uh, really enjoyed it. So Lula B's Diner in the Green Tree uh, Shopping Center. Andy, let's pick up with uh, what's happening with the, the uh, whole COVID-19 situation uh, and Fauci's advice to us and, and w- what he's doing to, to influence the U.S. culture. What are your thoughts? Well, I recently had a, a deep immersion in a, a conversational exchange <clears throat> excuse me, between Bobby Kennedy Jr. and uh, a fellow named Dave Martin, who is a, a patent, uh, an intangible asset patent uh, attorney. Uh, this was an extended video, 43 minutes, incredibly revealing uh, in terms of what they were exposing about Fauci's involvement with the whole pharmaceutical patent world. Let me just read, I think, uh, one revealing comment, uh, and this, this is a very extended interaction between Martin and, and Kennedy. Uh, Martin says, if you could go back and you look at the patent record of his funded research, you realize he controls the pathogen. He then controls the means of detection and the means of therapy, and then he controls the price that's, that's, that it's going to be sold at, and he gets paid, personally gets paid, Bob, every step along the way. So we have a man who has harvested hundreds of millions of dollars, perhaps billions of dollars, we don't know the, uh, the exact number, uh, by, in fact, his uh, direct uh, personal involvement with the issuing of, of patents, all developed under the auspice uh, of his department. But within existing law, he has been able to put himself into this model financially. Uh, the, the interaction between Martin and Kennedy re, uh, refers to him as, uh, as a Bernie Madoff, a racketeer, uh, a mafia-like Don. Uh, the, if anyone is really interested and they could just research the, uh, the interaction between Kennedy and Martin, you will find an incredible presentation of information that documents not only the financial benefit that, that Fauci has gained for the last 20 years from his direct personal involvement with almost every pharmaceutical patent that's been issued, but also, and this is the most sinister part of this whole process, also his development of the pathogens that his patents would serve to be uh, to be curative or at least therapeutic in, in, in regards to. So here we have a man that is uh, given almost a, uh, has been deified by the American press and much of the American people who in fact, by, by every estimation of, of factual assessment, Bob, has been a, a, a villain in this whole process. And I think uh, as far as my estimation is concerned, he continues to be so at this point. Yeah, you know, I, I saw the video, and I, I'm remiss in not posting that uh, column on my website. Correct me if I'm wrong is where you can go. You'll find I, I won't, I'll be able to do it today. Andy's uh, uh, column, uh, which actually has a link to uh, this video, which is just extremely, uh, just amazing. 
there's actually been an increase in chronic disease as a, uh, it could be a consequence of the types of pharmaceuticals that have been developed uh, since uh, Fauci's been in this corrupt business, quite frankly. So uh, it's a very interesting, incredible, incredible. Uh, well, let me just give a number about that, Bob. Under his watch, and he's been in this in this department or this area for 50 years, but in the time he's been in control of the uh, the chronic disease area, the chronic disease rate has gone from 12% of Americans to 54% yeah. of Americans. Yeah. Uh, that is because he and his department have never, or seldom at least, let's be, let's be more precise with that, have seldom investigated the cause of disease. They are far more interested in, in, in patterning possible drugs to deal with it rather than eliminating the essential cause. So within that model, Bob, the disease rate, chronic disease rate, going from 12% to 54%. And those are, I think, dramatic, well-documented numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Again, just so important. The information is just, you, you shake your head, you just can't believe it's happening. So uh, I take a look at uh, my website. There's a pull-down tab for, correct me if I'm wrong, and later today you'll find Andy's column, including uh, this link. Hey, before I let you go, I do want to move to uh, the election right now. And uh, everybody say, why doesn't he resign? Why doesn't he concede the election? What are your thoughts? Well, in the first place, there's no constitutional requirement that he concede the election. Uh, for him to concede at this point would, would be a, a lie because he obviously believes uh, with fervency uh, that this election has been stolen. So uh, for him to concede this election and essentially within that concession admit that this is a, a clear uh, honest win for Joe Biden is is just impossible. When we look at some of uh, Trump's allies that are uh, s jumping on the anti-Trump bandwagon, I think we can see a lot of the future, Bob. In other words, the future will be where Trump's former advocates to try to gain a, a, a position in what they see as the emerging leftist America are going to turn their back on, on Trump in the most uh, vehement of, of manners. I think we saw that first with the, uh, the New York Post in, uh, in posting uh, a, a front-page story uh, describing Trump's actions in regards to the uh, challenge of the election as being insanity, a charade. Uh, so here you have a newspaper that was an, uh, an ardent supporter of Donald Trump who doesn't just, as a friend, suggest that, that President Trump should just uh, let go of this. Uh, they do so in a manner that uh, positions Trump uh, in terms of the post as being an, an enemy of, of America. And I think that's, that's outrageous. Uh, if we have at a personal level, Geraldo Rivera, who again is, uh, describes himself as being a friend of the president and, uh, and uh, someone who admires the president, uh, but he talks about him as, as, a, as a frat boy, a spoiled frat boy. So I think we're going to see more and more of this type of language being used to describe the president, but trying to gain acceptance in what they see, as I mentioned before, an emerging leftist America. So uh, that, that is going to be a shame and a great loss of, of the Trump legacy. I think he will be uh, belittled, perhaps even more so than he has been for his four years in the presidency. Uh, I regard that as an outrage to a man who has, who has done such enormous things to the, for this country. Couldn't agree more. I, I think he's one president. I, you know, I believe there's still a chance that he will have a second term here. There's the, and I think it's all going to come down to January 6th and Mike Pence with the House and Senate uh, as he presides over the whole notion of counting the, the ballots from the Electoral College. Uh, Let me describe that simply, just for your, for your listeners, and it's much more complicated than I'm going to make it, but simply, uh, if Mike Pence refuses to count, there is uh, two sets of electors coming in from the seven swing, swing states. Uh, that would bring Joe Biden, uh, and of course uh, the president, uh, down below the 270 required mark, uh, and throw the House into an election uh, decided by the House of Representatives, where the where the Republicans dominate 30 to 19 by state, not by representatives, but by states. So it's it's that simple. And, and if Pence uh, can put his big boy pants on, and I don't want to demean the the courage it would take for, oh. uh, for Pence to do this, it would be an enormous act of courage, but it can happen in that manner. It's just as simply as that. Yeah, you know, and uh, quite frankly, he'd have to not only put on his big boy pants, but I think put his entire family in the uh, witness protection program because there is going to be all kinds of assaults and personal attacks 
towards him if he did something like that, or there was even a thought that he might do something like that. I hope he will. And uh, yeah, in fact, in history, in uh, 1800, uh, President uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson was presiding over the Senate as vice president, and he actually uh, uh, did the exact same thing that we're asking Mike Pence to do. And in his case, he turned out to be, be the, uh, the president of the United States because of, that con- of the consequence of that action. So there is a precedent, and uh, even with more what we'll call uh, more personal self-interest or conflict of interest in the process. So, uh, Well, it- again, you're absolutely correct. There is a precedent for this type of thing. You've also highlighted a, a general problem in our society right now, which is the uh, the 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 personal threats that exist to the to the individual and also to their families, uh, and they recognize this. They've seen that happening over the last several years: direct confrontations in restaurants, physical assault in some cases, uh, and how we can eliminate this as a as a manipulative factor in American politics and jurisprudence. Uh, I I don't know. I I absolutely believe that the Supreme Court, uh, with their refusal to take up the Texas suit, I think was uh, under that same type of intimidation, not only uh, fear of riots, which was pointed out by, by John Roberts, I mean, as part of his, his reason for rendering that, that decision, uh, but also in terms of fear for their families and their safety and security. Yeah. So I, I don't know how we can eliminate this particular element from, uh, from uh, the American body politic, Bob. Uh, you're absolutely right. Now, we did uh, file uh, a case with the Supreme Court of uh, Wisconsin. There's 50,000 votes that uh, were not legal according to the Wisconsin Constitution and Wisconsin law. This is uh, back to uh, uh, Bush v. Gore, and uh, that same case is a precedent to exactly what the case would be in Wisconsin. Will the Supreme Court actually hear it? I have my doubts. I really do. But- I, I have my doubts also. I, uh, at this point, I'm, I'm not optimistic. Um, I certainly believe that America's future will depend to a large extent on whether President Trump can secure a, a second term. And um, again, once again, I'm not optimistic about yeah. that outcome. I will close our discussion with the fact that they should hear it based on that precedent alone, but irrespective, uh, well, we'll see what happens. Andy, always appreciate your very informed and interesting commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. And, and, and uh, I think ne- next week, Bob, we'll know a lot more than we know today. Exactly. Happy New Year to you, Andy. Thanks you, again. You too, my friend. Uh, all right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did.
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and now building a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books, some on climate change, which are really fascinating. His latest is How Everything Happened, Including Us. I've read it. It's terrific, and I hope you get a copy. How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, Bob, good morning, and thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. And you've got your latest column in Newsbacks really brings to light. It is such a critical issue at this time. It's called China Stands Ready to Exploit Biden Weakness. I'm not sure it's Biden's weakness. It could be just actually his, uh, his, uh, <laughs> he's compromised. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, there's been a lot in the news. I guess we're kind of waking up to the fact that uh, China's been very aggressive, very ambitious in terms of, uh, you know, gaining a world stature and dominance and uh, and at the expense of the United States very uh, uh, effectively, in fact, that, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the invasion of the universities with the Confucius Institutes. They bring so many students over and they... And they have access to a lot of our intellectual information. And, of course, this has been happening as well with uh, our companies, our globalist companies that are doing business with with China, most particularly the, the Silicon Valley uh, uh, high-tech companies. And, uh, and uh, we've learned that they've been very active in terms of infiltrating and uh, kind of schmoozing with our... Uh, uh, top uh, government leaders and, and and actually cultivating them on the way up. When mm-hmm. we have uh, Eric Swallow's Swallow's uh, Fang Fang connection, uh, she was a, a Chinese student uh, in the Bay Area, and she kind of helped groom him and, and raise his uh, his coffers to you know get him into office and so on. And and Diane Feinstein's chauffeur. Who you know for uh, nearly twenty years uh, was uh, was really spying uh, on her activities and 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 so on. You know the the list is kind of endless, and mm-hmm. uh, and it brings to mind now what what will happen uh, with our new administration when Joe Biden comes in, and his son is quite a compromised character with having uh, um, gone to Beijing with his father on the Air Force Two and come back with a billion and a half dollar contract with no experience in the energy business. So it's all uh, it's all kind of a cascading uh, scandal right now. It really is. In fact, uh, you brought home an important fact that uh, China's intellectual property theft costs America as much as $500 billion a year or between four to $6,000 per household. Uh, which is just an astounding. Now, this has been going on for years, and here we are with coming through this pandemic, which, quite frankly, if uh, if you're a conspiracy theorist, as I may be, you could think that, well, this actually was intended uh, to spread around the world to support the Chinese effort towards dominance of the United States and, and uh, global uh, global power. But nevertheless, I mean, if you could just think about that, that amount of money being taken out of the pockets of American people, the American people, uh, $6,000 per household is just incredible. Yeah, and, and of course the Chinese people, like people in other countries, are, are, are wonderful people. And uh, and we have to remember that this is a, a, a regime. You know, this is the Chinese party of Japan. Mm-hmm. And they're not nice people. They, you know, they have, uh, we, we, we see this with their, you know, the prison camps and, and uh, pretty strong evidence of organ harvesting of, of their prisoners. Uh, uh, pretty, you know, pretty, uh, pretty bizarre and, and uh, terrifying. And and uh, and they they clamp down on uh, any any kind of dissidence or any kind of uh, res- you know uh, resistance to their to their activities and 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 the growth of you know using. 
uh, facial recognition and, and, and tracing of people so they can institute a merit system and decide, you know, they can d determine if someone uh, put their garbage in the right can or walked their dog with a leash or whatever and mm -hmm. assign merits that affect whether they can stay in a hotel or their children can go to college, you know. So so it's, it's uh, we, we see Orwell brought to, you know, Orwell on steroids in terms of of social control, and and it's it's kind of terrifying to think that some of our companies are really assisting them in these high tech areas and uh, doing some of the beta testing for them and so on. Because of course the internet is global and so on, so we're all knit together in this world with with some very uh, curious and very uh, scary people. Yeah, Professor, I wonder, you know, in my mind, is the Chinese people on uh, mass really have nothing to do with this. It's the Communist Chinese Party uh, that uh, it's really a criminal cabal in, in, my, in my view. So uh, they're basically doing everything they can to expand their power and influence around the world uh, through stealing, through theft. Uh, you, you know, it's just uh, they have enterprise, free enterprise, or I shouldn't call it free enterprise, but enterprise, private enterprise happening in China. But this is really separate from the Communist Chinese Party. It's not separate from they control it. But uh, it's really an insidious plot to take over uh, world power. Well, I think, too, that a lot of people you know, are a kind of... Uh, I think the students that come over here, we can't think of them as all, all being spies. But I recall when I was going to... You know, I was going to Soviet Union, Russia, right after the Soviet Union collapsed. I was going there... Quite frequently, I was one of the first Americans invited over there to meet with their top space officials there, and uh, and you know I was I was you know I was being followed and watched, and we we never had a conversation in a hotel room. It was always on the street and so on, and and you know there was just an awful awful lot of stuff that was going on, and and I I knew that my interpreters were always invariably beautiful women, and it spoke a wonderful you know. Uh, you know, English and so on, were reporting everything back to the you know the authorities, and and so you have this. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are kind of unwittingly, you know, uh, you know they it was reporting back to the government was considered just a patriotic thing to do. Some of them went further than that. I think were actual, you know, operatives and so on. But uh, it makes us very suspicious of, of people, and I think. In our society today, one of the really unfortunate aspects is we're becoming suspicious of everyone, and it doesn't help when we're wearing our our COVID masks and making six foot arcs around each other. It seems like the lack of trust in each other, the lack of trust in the media, the lack of trust in global politics and in domestic politics and elections. Uh, we're going through a, a period now, and I hope we recover from it where. You know, we've totally lost our sense of trust in, in virtually everything. Yeah. Great point, Professor. I just really appreciate your commentary. You do highlight in your column uh, your book, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Great read. And for those that might uh, have an interest in this topic, it's really important to understand what's happening from a cyber warfare point of view. And I'll end, it, end also in your latest book, uh, How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor Bella, uh, actually, the column appears in Newsmax. Go to Newsmax.com, and you'll find uh, all of uh, uh, Professor Bell's columns. Uh, his column is entitled On Point. Professor, Happy New Year to you, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, let's hope that the next one is going to be a whole lot different than the one we're leaving. Goodbye, 2020. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and uh, learned a lot today, and I hope you did as well. I have great guests for tomorrow, including uh, Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, uh, focusing on education, public education in Florida. Michael Cannon is the uh, director of education uh, studies, I should say, uh, director of uh, health studies in the Cato Institute. And we'll also visit with Naples Mayor Bill Barnett. He will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Uh, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.